the question, what kind of cities do we want to live in? How do we want our cities to be? Cannot be divorced from the question of what kind of people we want to be. What kind of humanity we wish to create amongst ourselves and how we want to create it. And it is that mutual constitution of the city and who we are and what we are that is something which is, I think, again, very important to reflect upon. This is The City, an hour dedicated to a critical discussion of urban issues. Welcome to the city on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and CJSF 90.1 FM and CJSF.ca. And first on the show, uh, we go to South Vancouver as the Musqueam and uh, Musqueam supporters rallied at Mountain View Cemetery in Vancouver to draw attention to a planned condo development on their um, historic um, and sacred burial grounds in Marpole. Then we'll be talking about the In the House Festival coming to a living room near you and um, then we're getting ready for the second day of classes uh, at East Vancouver's night school. And then in the second part of the show, um, we have a student dispatch from Montreal on the go- ongoing student mobilizations, and we'll be talking about how they're shaping the city. This is the city. Stay with us. sounds this morning, May 29th, uh, from the corner of Fraser Street and uh, East 41st here in Vancouver as uh, Musqueam members and uh, allies stood um, and uh, rallied um, to symbolize um, the ongoing, um, uh, really what has become um, a a battle in some sense uh, to protect sacred lands. And I spoke to Cecilia Point, uh, the spokesperson from Musqueam, um, and uh, this is what she had to say. So can you tell me why Musqueam is down here at the Mountain View Cemetery? Because the province issued development permits on one of our grave sites, and it's one of our national historic sites. It's the country's national historic site declared by the federal government in 1930. So we have significant artifacts there, not unlike the famous Viking site in Grossmoren National Park, which you're not allowed to pick up a rock off of. Um, 
but we have burials there and they have unearthed three bodies, an adult and two infants, and it's disgusting to me. We're in front of Mountain View Cemetery today in the hopes that if a politician has someone buried here, I want them to know how it feels. We brought a development permit sign with us. We brought some shovels. We want them to know how it would feel if someone was going to come to Mountain View and say, you know, this is a nice piece of property. We should develop it and move all these bodies out of here or else just destroy them. Do you think um, the symbolism um, for for Vancouverites, do you think they understand the message? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. We're getting lots of uh, honks and support, and anyone that walks by, if we tell them what's happening, they get it right away. And where we are uh, situated, we're protesting at our burial site 24-7. The Vancouver neighbours have been fantastic, bringing us food, coming by, holding up signs spontaneously, signing our petition, past 1,000 now, so and honking in support. It, so, yeah, I think the city can see us and they're supporting us. And can you provide an update to the latest? I know you've been pushing, asking the province to um, help facilitate the land swap. Is there any movement on that? No, and that's why we're going to the the Premier's office today. We've already been to the legislature, and uh, we haven't asked um, for a facilitator. They appointed a facilitator. We wanted to meet directly with the minister responsible, and he has only put forth a facilitator who has no power to act, who keeps saying he's collecting information, even though we've been in talks with them for a year and a half at least. So they're stonewalling us, basically. So we're hoping by doing this action today, going to the Premier's office, this afternoon at 4 o'clock, some of our young folks are going to be at Robson and Hornby, disseminating information on the ground, holding signs, pamphlets, drumming, inviting people to get to know us. Okay, well, best of luck with everything going on today, and uh, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Hi, Chika. And that was Cecilia Point from the Musqueam Band, and uh, she spoke to me at the rally um, at the corner of uh, Fraser and East 41st uh, this morning. Um, And uh, we're going to now go to uh, a a festival. Well, I did want to mention that you can find out more information either on Facebook or through the Musqueam's website about uh, Cessnam, the um, burial grounds and midden site in Marple. Um, and there are ways um, to uh, send letters uh, to the minister responsible. And all of that can be found either by doing a Google search um, for um, the Marple midden um, and Musqueam. Um, and also, um, on that note, uh, I know they were going down, as she mentioned, to uh, Christy Clark's office. And uh, so certainly this is something we uh, certainly want to continue to follow on the city. And uh, it is really important to show your support, show your solidarity, um, whether you're um, Aboriginal or not. I think it's an important, um, important struggle um, to very the very thing to protect your heritage um, and your ancestors. So um, find out more of that. I encourage you to. And um, I'd always love to hear uh, your thoughts. Um, you can post those on the cityfm.wordpress.com. And I'm also going to be posting some photos from uh, today's rally um, uh, this morning. So on the cityfm.wordpress.com. And In the House Festival is coming up uh, this weekend, and it's a unique festival. It takes place in people's uh, very living rooms um, in the Grandview Woodland neighborhood in East Vancouver off Commercial Drive. And I spoke with um, the artistic director, um, uh, Miriam Steinberg, about the festival, and uh, here's our conversation. 
So, Miriam, can you tell me about In the House Festival and a little bit of history about how it got started? Um, In about 2003, a friend of mine came up with the initial idea for In the House and approached me and a bunch of other folks to help put them together, put it together. And uh, it ended up being a really fantastic event and um, a lot of community, a lot of performance, a lot of really you could see the joy bubbling and and people being really excited about sharing their houses and and experiencing these performances and um it was really inspiring to me after the first year it's kind of skipped a year and then in 2005 i was the only one who wanted to keep working on the project so i took it over and have developed it to what it is today awesome and uh, okay, this so year, now what's uh, the specifics? What can people um, expect? When is the festival? And we've actually um, added a show, so we have twenty shows that are happening tickets? in thirteen um, houses near Commercial Drive, and it's a festival. All genres of music, dance, theater, circus. And unfortunately, had a little technical glitch. We're going to go to uh, come back to that um, clip. Um, but night, Vancouver Night School, um, this is something that uh, we talked about uh, with the first day of classes upon us. Uh, this was um, a number of weeks back. And I spoke with Emiliano um, about the upcoming uh, uh, next or what is the second day of classes for uh, Vancouver Night School. And uh, here's what uh, he had to say. And uh, we also talked about uh, briefly about the success of the previous night school. Emiliano, tell me how last night school went, and obviously we're here having a conversation about the upcoming night school, so obviously it, it must have gone well to, um, uh, to merit another one. So, yeah, tell me a little bit about uh, the last night school. Sure, well, um, the last night school... Uh, it went pretty. It went re- very well, actually. I was, I was. Um, I think I was the most pessimistic one of the group of us. Where, well, maybe not pessimistic, but kind of like realist. Where I was like, um, really hesitant to declare it was a success or not until, you know, uh, much later on when I'd had time to think about it. But uh, it turned out to be, I, I, I'd say, like a very, like, a, yeah, a very successful kind of thing. There was quite a Quite a fair amount of people showed up. Um, we had three speakers, and uh, the next night school is, that's coming up it will be a little bit. Um, I think will be. I think will be even better. We'll have um, we'll have three speakers as well. Um, one of them is uh, is a woman, Jamie Kendall Ward, who's actually part of uh, been a big part of helping organize the different nights. Uh, or the first night and like having you know she's been part of the kind of core group of people who who are who are a big part of organizing the whole thing um and uh yeah she's going to be talking about uh really she about uh just her own studies of a paper and especially uh her own research in, into a paper that she's written she's a student at ubc in human geography human geography department um she's going to be talking about um, representations in the media of sex workers on the downtown east side and, and of people in the downtown east side and the kind of the uh, yeah the kind of problems that those representations kind of create for the the people there and uh, for the sex workers and stuff and how they how um, uh, and essentially kind of 
taking us through the, her, her research into that. Um, another one is um, uh, the next speaker is actually a man named Ray Su. Uh, he is a professor at, at UBC, also in the creative writing department. We seem to be pretty uh, UBC creative writing department heavy so far, but um, uh, we'll probably you know branch out <laughs> further on, later on. Um, but he is, uh, he's kind of a curious character. Uh, he is, um, he's a poet, and, um, but he kind of has this kind of very ambivalent relationship with poetry, which is really fascinating. Um, and he, um, he, his kind of poetry practice uh, kind of crosses a lot of boundaries and kind of blurs a lot of lines uh, as to like what poetry is and he's he's constantly doing that sort of thing where you know it's like kind of testing the limits of what is poetry um and so he's going to actually be talking about a project that he uh has done recently or will be doing uh with a an art gallery in LA um, and the the project is called The Future is Laser Tag. So it's actually this really bizarre laser tag project that's happening in this on this hillside by this gallery where there, all the gallery viewers will uh, be able to kind of see through these remote, remote cameras what the different participants are doing. Um, and uh, as well as they'll be able to kind of participate themselves through some sort of like remote means. Um, so it's really bizarre. And it's, yeah. it's almost like Orwellian or kind yeah. of voyeuristic. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, I think he, he kind of, that's kind of a, a part of his poetry as well, is that he kind of deals with like, you know, where the lines between the, the citizen and the individual and like the state or whatever, like uh, kind of where they where they are and where they blur or... or um, Kind of transgressing those those borders, um, and uh, and then the final speaker, uh, who I'm really excited about is um, his name is Ryan McCormick, and he's the uh, director of the Safe Amplification Society. Uh, pardon me, the Safe Amplification Site Society, um, and they are lo- working with the city, and they're they're looking towards. Uh, Creating a, a safe all all ages concert venue, um, so he's going to be talking about this uh, uh, rather large feasibility study uh, that he that him and his, uh, his the and him and the Safe Amp site have been doing um, to towards kind of trying to figure out the 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 ins and outs of trying to create a new space um, all ages concert space. Um, and, and that dialogue, I, I think, uh, go, is really important with the city right now in, in terms of um, kind of, uh, you know, towards like creation of not only safe uh, all-ages venues, but really uh, multi-purpose venues throughout the city that don't really fall into the normal zoning boundaries uh, that the city sets up. Um, I, was, I was just going to say there. I'm, I'm sure we both could name off a number of spaces within the city that uh, <laughs> really hope that they don't 
have their space discovered um, because they would have bylaw issues and well also Redgate recently uh, shut down um, on yeah, Hastings absolutely. yeah absolutely um, so yeah that, that sort of discussion I think is a, a big a big part of what is kind of going on in the city and I, I really feel like uh, in a big way the 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 city is kind of a battleground you know and there's there's um, there's kind of like a constant struggle to kind of maintain and keep and preserve the kind of culture that uh, that a lot of people want and maybe a lot of people don't even know that they want or even hope hope to have in the city to make it a, a, a live and vital place um, so the actually uh, we have a kind of a loose theme for the night and that's kind of that's battlegrounds essentially so you know uh, uh, the battlegrounds of uh, of the city uh, as far as like concert venues and like the battleground of, of laser tag and and also of representation of sex workers um, I, I love that uh, thinking of uh, certainly so much of what goes on in cities um, it is a struggle between competing uses and competing users and ultimately who is the city for and I think that plays out whether it's venue space or um, you know bylaws and how they're enforced or not enforced and so I, I really like that idea of uh, thematically um, all of these um, all of these speakers being adding to the conversation of the city as, uh, as some sort of battleground, whether it's for ideas or for space or uses. So that's that's awesome. Um, what are the specifics uh, for the night? So uh, when is it and uh, um, the time and uh, where can people find more about uh, night school? Sure. Um, well, it'll be on Thursday, May 31st at the Rhizome Cafe, which is at uh, 317 East Broadway. And uh, the night will be from 7 to 9. Um, and there's also part of, part of it, too, is that those, there's going to be food and drink available. So it kind of makes it like a really nice and formal place to just hang out and uh, get some food or gra- grab a drink and just listen to some, hopefully, some talks that will hopefully be interesting. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Um, yeah, so Rhizome Cafe, 7 to 9, uh, May 31st. Um, you can also find more information at, um, we have a Facebook page, uh, which would be, you know, at facebook.com slash vancitynightschool. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, any final, uh, final thoughts? No, just hope you uh, can make it out and want to see lots of people. And if anybody, too, if anybody is interested in kind of in participating in future night schools, uh, uh, we're all we'd all be more than excited to to hear from you uh, from anybody. So, um, for if you want to get in contact with us uh, about that, um, you can email us at vancitynightschool at gmail dot com or even through the our, our Facebook as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And that was uh, me, uh, Andy Longhurst, talking with Emiliano, uh, one of the organizers of uh, Vancouver Night School or uh, East Vancouver Night School. Um, And uh, certainly check that out. That is um, this 
this week, May 31st. And unfortunately for CJSF listeners, um, you will hear this um, program syndicated after um, that uh, night school has occurred. So, um, But that's not to say that you can't uh, all attend another one. Um, it's ongoing, and they're organizing a wonderful um, uh, list of speakers. And they're always, um, like Emiliano mentioned, um, give them... Uh, Drop them a line, give them a call, um, or you can get in touch with me about how to get in touch with them um, if you have a great idea for how to create um, an informal, um, it's about creating an informal learning environment, but talking about some really um, interesting issues and important issues, um, and they're really into making this um, a space of dialogue and one uh, of critical engagement. So um, that is, um, that's such a cool endeavor. And I just, uh, can't say how much I'm impressed by, um, by night school. So we're going to take a short break, um, but stay with us on the city. This is 101.9 FM CITR and uh, CJSF 91, 90.1 FM on, uh, streaming online at CITR.ca and CJSF.ca. Um, and, um, just wanted to uh, say, stay with us. We've got some um, a great in-depth conversation with a Montreal student um, who is involved in um, uh, the student movement in Montreal, um, and we talk um, in the second half of the program about how the protest, uh, how the student movement, and how the protests um, going on every night in Montreal are really uh, changing the social fabric of the city and creating a number of uh, different opportunities for. Um, a new radical politics and a new radical way of thinking about urban space. So stay tuned. On Friday, June 1st, for 24 hours, CITR is going to paint the airwaves rainbow. Starting at 6 a.m., CITR programmers will be producing an entire day of queer content in celebration of Pride season around the world, delivering messages of hope, fun, warning, and whimsy that may also include offensive language, sexual themes, and excessive on-air nudity. Listener discretion is advised, while indiscretions are strongly encouraged. Join us for Vancouver's third annual Complaints Choir. In this hilarious community project, participants sing in a litany of complaints from money woes to condos, bad government to bad habits. Come out on Sunday, June the 2nd to this free outdoor event taking place around the Mount Pleasant area. Check out www.newmusic.org for more details. Sponsored by CITR 101.9 FM. With the vast amount of changes happening in the world, it's almost impossible to get a clear picture of what's really going on. We are trapped within the logic of capitalism, leaving us unable to imagine what comes next. The Extra Environmentalist brings the perspectives of people who can see the whole picture and are ready for whatever comes our way. Tune in to The Extra Environmentalist every Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. on CITR 101.9 FM. This is the viewpoint that makes all places the same to you. And welcome back to the city on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and CJSF 90.1 FM and CJSF.ca. And uh, we're going to go uh, now to uh, my uh, conversation with Miriam Steinberg 
and she is the artistic director of In the House Festival, uh, set to take over living rooms near you um, for performances, for art, for uh, visual art, and uh, lots of creativity and fun um, in East Vancouver. And uh, we're going to go to that uh, conversation right now. So Miriam, can you tell me about In the House Festival and uh, a little bit of history about how it got started? Um, In about 2003, a friend of mine came up with the initial idea for In the House and approached me and a bunch of other folks to help put put it together. And uh, it ended up being a really fantastic event and um, a lot of community, a lot of performance, a lot of really you could see the joy bubbling and and people being really excited about sharing their houses and and experiencing these performances and um it was really inspiring to me after the first year it's kind of skipped a year and then in 2005 i was the only one who wanted to keep working on the project so i took it over and have developed it to what it is today awesome and uh this year what's uh what can people expect We've actually added a show, so we have 20 shows that are happening in 13 houses near Commercial Drive, and it's all genres of music, dance, theater, circus, magic, spoken word. It's People can expect to have a really great time exploring new things, new genres of performance. I really like to blend different styles together. So, for example, there's a dance cabaret where you'll see some flamenco, some tango, some Balinese dance, some hip-hop, some contemporary dance. So you really get a broad overview of what dance can offer, as well as, um, you know, different styles of magic, different styles of puppetry. and, And you get to see it with your neighbors and your friends, and it's all in people's living rooms and backyards. Tell me more about... uh this is a very unique festival because it is in people's living rooms and in people's homes um, around this neighborhood. Right now we're sitting in Grandview Park um, and there are some beautiful homes. Um, was the choice to pick this, was there a reason that this neighborhood was chosen um, and, and why have a festival that takes place in people's homes? I chose this neighborhood because I live in it and especially over the first few years my house was kind of the festival central so the box office was there the equipment place was there green room green room was there simply because i didn't want to impose that on somebody else it's it's quite a heavy thing and so also i I mean i knew my neighbors and and i got to know more and more neighbors as as the festival got along and so it was easy access to all these houses and and if you're going to compare the east side to the west side for example on the west side people are really reticent they either are tend to be europeans or uh artists themselves who are more open to to having a show in their house otherwise it's like oh do you have insurance do you do this do you do that i'm scared for my floors and i don't want anybody who are these strangers in my house and on the east side i knock on their door of you know somebody that maybe i've never met before and i explain who i am and what i do and they're like yeah sure that sounds like a lot of fun And so there's this real difference in perspective and community that is on the east side. Okay. And um, you're speaking to something that I think is very apparent in Vancouver. It's this east-west divide. Um, But more specifically, is there... Is there something in the water in in the Grandview Woodland neighborhood that makes it um, so willing to try this, this... 
crazy idea of having performances in your living room. Maybe it's not that crazy, but bringing people into your homes that you may not know. Um, specifically, is this something that makes this neighborhood special? I think there are fewer hedges that separate people's houses, literally. (laughs) And so people are out gardening and they see each other on the street and the kids are allowed to play street hockey without as much supervision as they would maybe on the west side if they actually do play street hockey on the west side. I don't know. But um, I think the west side is very hedged. (laughs) <laughs> Literally, it's it's very it, it's very apparent. They have they hire their gardeners, and here everybody has their little farm in the back, their veggie patch, and in the front they're they're planting their flowers, they're saying hi to their neighbors, and and that really helps build community, and that helps feel comfortable around strangers that are walking past, and and so the idea that they can actually bring these people into their homes is a lot less scary. Now, having the festival in people's living rooms and homes. Um, are you hinting at larger struggles within the city of Vancouver um, for venue space or for cultural space um, throughout the city and, and more generally for the arts just to, to continue to do what they do and provide performances and festivals in this city? There is definitely a dearth of venues in Vancouver and small and mid-sized venues are, are hard to come by and there's so many artists in this city you know just every second house that you walk past you're guaranteed there's going to be some kind of performing artist who lives there and when you have such a high ratio of artists and so few venues in which they can ply their art then something is wrong and something needs to change and the fact that you're that I'm able to have these houses host these shows really opens up a wide um wide scope of venues in which they can explore what they do and and really connect with the audience. Can you tell me about some of the performances that you're really excited about? I'm sure you're excited about everything, um, but are there a few acts that you want to highlight? There's, yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening. There's, uh, the circus is coming, so we're going to have a 23-foot tower from which silks and trapeze are going to be hung. In someone's yard. In someone's yard, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty spectacular thing. Does bylaw enforcement know about this? <laughs> Don't say anything. <laughs> Do it and beg forgiveness later. <laughs> That's not going to go in, right? <laughs> I don't know, maybe. Um, and one of the things that we've done a lot within the house over the last few years is highlight a certain instrument, especially instruments that people find quirky or strange, like the banjo or the accordion, where they'll be like, oh, I hate music with accordion. And, and so I've put together shows where that you'll hear three different genres of music that you see accordion and all of a sudden this whole new world opens up where you can appreciate the instrument and, and know that it's not just a noise box that's being used and at the festival this year it's not a strange instrument but we're highlighting the violin in one of the shows called Visions of Violins where um, we have one classical uh, music group we have an indie jazzy rocky kind of group and then we have a mariachi band and all three of those groups hi- use the violin as a very important instrument within that genre of music and uh, so it kind of gives a really nice overview of what that instrument like the, the diversity of and the, the the breadth that that instrument can offer um, within music okay that sounds wonderful i want to see that 23 foot 
uh, trapeze tower. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> okay, so now to the specifics. Um, when is the festival, and um, how can people get a hold of tickets, um, and where can they find more information? The festival takes place June 1st to 3rd. starts Friday night. The first show's at 7. And uh, they can get tickets online at www.inthehousefestival.com or at High Life Records on Commercial Drive. And what was the other question? Uh, the other question was where can they find more information? They can find, anybody can find more information about In the House Festival at www.inthehousefestival.com. And in three words, um, how would you describe In the House Festival? Oh, uh, hmm. <laughs> I'm kind of tempted to leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. Uh, creative, inspiring, and beautiful. Okay. Thank you so much, Miriam. Thank you very much. That's Montreal's parlor in your house, and uh, certainly you can be in others' house, in other people's houses uh, this coming weekend um, with In the House Festival. So check that out. And uh, recently, I spoke with Alejandra Zaga Mendez, and she's um, a Montreal student at McGill. And uh, we spent uh, a good amount of time discussing what's going on in Montreal and uh, some of the dynamics on the streets and um, how um, f- these forms of protest and expression are um, really uh, changing the city and, um, and really altering the way that I think Montrealers uh, think of their city. And certainly in the media, um, a lot of um, mainstream media, it's been portrayed as uh, something that's disruptive and something that um, it's an over-entitled students. And um, I think if you take a more critical perspective, um, there's a lot more to it. And there's a reason that students in Montreal are fighting um, 
these these increases and it's part of a much larger problem in Montreal and in Quebec and across this country um, all over. Um, it's the fact that prospects are bleak for a lot of graduates, prospects are bleak for a lot of young people and um, we have an economic structure which um, it does not uh, it does not provide um, living wage jobs for a lot of people and people are coming out of university with an incredible amount of debt and so this is something that I think the student movement is uh, certainly reflective of and I think they're articulating much larger things uh, much like the Occupy movement and uh, it's certainly hard um, to articulate everything there is um, but I think taking issue with this um, the proposed $325 a year increase um, is, or sorry, $325 increase um, is substantial. And it's, uh, it's certainly something that we reflected on. Um, and we talked uh, more specifically also about uh, the nature of protests and the responses by police and the city, as well as the province in Montreal. So this is uh, a discussion um, with Alejandra. And this is The City on CHR 101.9 FM and CJSF 90.1. Alejandra, can you tell me uh, your background and how you're involved in the student movement um, and the, uh, what, what is now a larger movement in many ways in Montreal and Quebec? Well, first of all, I'm a agro-environmental science student at McGill. Um, my involvement in the student movement started when I was in CGEP. That means that's the um, study that we do between high school and university. When uh, you finish high school, I started to be involved in my CGEP student association. That means that uh, the student society has a body, an executive body that is in charge of political actions, that organizes general assemblies and the uh, and any kind of, well, protests or um, um, demands to the government or to the society. So I started there. I was really involved in my executive. Then when I when I went to university, things changed a lot because I, uh, well, my CGIP was in French. Thus, I was close to the student movement, the Francophone, the French uh, student movement. Then I moved to the university at McGill. Thus, there are... There was less active. There was a less active student body in our university where in my faculty, we started a student mobilization committee with some fellows that didn't work well at first, but uh, it became really well, more active in this last strike, even though if McGill was not participated a lot in this, um, in this movement, because we have, we had a, we had less mobilization. However, we, we still had some faculties that voted for some strike days and even for uh, general strikes. So that's pretty much my background for the student movement. But I have uh, and also uh, a community activist uh, background in my home neighborhood in Montreal North. Great. Can you give me a perspective of uh, how Montreal... Um feels right now and just give people a sense of um, what things are like on the street. It's really mm -hmm. hard for a lot of us to get a, a good sense of um, the I feeling. And uh, even, for <laughs> us, even for us, this is uh, it's outstanding. It's, it's going uh, beyond our expect expectations. I remember uh, in March when we were preparing the March, the 22nd, 
and we were telling to when we were doing the demobilization and we were giving the information we were telling to people you guys i think we're going to have the biggest and the largest uh, march uh, demonstration in the history of of north america and we had it the 22nd of march and then in april we had ones that was bigger and in may we had an, a third one that was even bigger so we're, we were expecting that after the big mobilization in Mars, we will have news from the government and we will be listened. But this didn't happen. Does people, instead of sitting down, more and more people reacted and joined the movement. And just this last week, the 22nd of May, we were almost 250,000 people in the street of Montreal mm-hmm. saying no to the politics of Jean Charest especially to his um, special law, the 78, that does not allow to, to any kind of citizen uh, to gather spontaneously, uh, that it's really going against our freedom of speech, freedom to gather, freedom to demonstrate, because when you're 50 and more in, in, a, in, in, a, in a spontaneous uh, demonstration, uh, you're considered to be illegal. So... This measurement of the government that went out uh, Thursday the 17th, I guess, um, did not stop the movement. It made the movement even harder, even more. We have more participation. One of it was that March on the 22nd. The second thing that we're leaving every day, uh, this started on Monday. There was a call in Facebook and through uh, all the networks that we have to every day at eight, people go to the street, take the street with casseroles. And, and this is eight at, eight at night? Eight at night. Every right. eight at nine. They, um, it, and this is, was inspired because in the, during, in Latin America, this is really big. El caserolazo, what we call, that's the fact that, that people take casseroles and show they're not happy, like mm-hmm. against uh different laws and for instance in Chile where there was the Pinochet dictator dictator, Mm -hmm. people would take the street with casseroles to say no to this dictatorship no screaming just plain casseroles Mm -hmm. as a way to resist and I think uh, this inspired our our Quebec people and every day at 8 at night you have uh, like thousands of them in, in different neighborhoods, in all the neighborhoods of Montreal, in most of the neighborhoods of Montreal, in the big corners, at least 50 people or more. That means we're illegal, according to the new law, doing playing casseroles during 31 hours. And for instance, uh, I've, I've done it all this week and I'm re- getting ready to, in two hours, get the streets with some friends too. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how um, it mobilized. It's amazing how kids, how... Uh, Madames and messieurs, everybody is in the street saying to Jean Charest that what he's doing to the students, what he's doing to his people is not just. So it's, um, I think there's a lot of hope. It's been really interesting following um, particularly the English language media in um, in Canada and especially um, in BC. And mm-hmm. a lot of it's been portrayed as um, primarily activists and students. Um, and now finally we're starting to see more coverage about how, um, like you said, 
people are coming out who are um, uh, older people, their um, families, their younger children, and maybe, I guess the first question, was this to some extent always the case? Um, and are we seeing the protests themselves changing in their uh, characteristics mm-hmm. and who's coming out? I, what I've seen from my experience, and one more time, I'm not a... Uh, I consider myself like any other activist. I'm not in charge of something. And what I've seen of all the demos that I've been before and in compared to the 2005 strike, that the movement is larger than just students. Uh, For instance, during this strike, there have been a lot of family demos where the students, where their parents take the street, uh, mothers against the, the hike, grandmas, grandparents against the the hike uh, for the strike, for this struggle. So I think it is beyond just the students themselves. So it's not only a student protest. Now when you go to the street, you have grandparents, workers, unions, everybody being concerned because it's a social issue. It's not only the fact to pay or not to pay. We're choosing what kind of education we want for our people. We're choosing what kind of knowledge, how knowledge has to be shared. How how do we value this uh, common good? Like seeing knowledge as a common good, then it's and it's a and it's a social option. It's a social decision to take. Thus, it concerns everybody. Do you think the student movement? Um should broaden the focus um, of of the movement, or do you think it's been so successful because it has been um, based around this this demand and uh, fighting the proposed um, uh, tuition fee increase? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the fight. I think the strike had just one goal and has just one goal: is to make this hike stop. Stop this hike. That's our. That's our stop the hat the hike that CA you will see this is our message and it has been since the beginning. But we were forced to debate. And that's something that uh, I was amazed also by the the fact that everybody felt concerned to debate why or why not to hike. And this became a debate in the in the media, in the newspapers, in this in the schools of actually uh, the student movement organized this kind of, uh, well, different conference where we have economists that comes and talks what really is underneath this. And what really is underneath uh, a tarification of public services is austerity measures and is a neoliberal agenda. So we are looking at and a more deep than just a hike. So we were forced to debate and we were forced to debate as a society that it's not to raise three dollars or to raise 50 or raise 160 25 uh, is the fact that we're putting we're putting a tariff in the in the to the poor and the middle class instead of taxing companies and instead of uh, looking at where the money's going inside the government so it's a political decision so we were forced to to Talk about that, and when you say it was, and then it become broader, then then it become like more, uh, how do you say, less narrow mm-hmm. than just the hike. And this this is where we are now. And now we are more than that because we we lived uh, repression and we lived uh, with this law, 
and we 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 experience all, all the political and um, police repression uh, and plus all the insults even I, I will say insults from the government they're the fact that they ignore the student movement the two negotiations did not work because they were not listening to our demands and they were proposing things to uh to, to the student body that was not were not concerned with our first demand that was to stop the hike as right. simple as that so now it's it's just not we we passed the debate and we are more into the resistance phase of it i want to go back to the the response um from the city and from uh, the police um, in Montreal um, mm-hmm. at that at that level on the street. Um, what's it been like from your experience uh, when you are at protests? How have police responded? And you mentioned, and we've seen uh, certainly yeah. instances of uh, repression um, and some very questionable um, police tactics. Can you talk about that? Well, actually, to demonstrate has changed over this strike. I've been to different kind of demos, uh, and uh, n- now we don't know where are the limits. And when I say that, it's because in a tradition of demonstration, we know that we start Pacific, and we know there are people that want to go further. And and there is maybe in Quebec we have some of groups we have the uh, the tradition to respect the multiple strategies, and we respect that. And however, now. We don't know where's. Uh, what I want to say is like uh, before, when you want to go further in your action and either be m- groups that want to be more violent against the police, well, they will go in the front and they will do their thing, and that's fine. And and the police will just most of the time, not always, but just repress these kind of people at the front. And you know, uh, you kind of learn when to. St- well, I'm, I don't want to get in trouble. I'm going to get out of here. And how to do to not get arrested, right? And But now, <laughs> now it's just repression is everywhere. Do you think... If, do you're, you, yeah. if, you're, if you're a kid or you're a baby or you're, you're with your baby or you're a family, uh, police, they just... They, I don't know how, how do you say it. In the streets, there is no uh, a safe place to demo. However... People are still going, and and after this special law went out that allowed allowed the police to just arrest us if we're fifty and more. Mm-hmm. There were thousands, like ten thousand people one night, fifteen thousand people the next one. Have, so, yeah. Have you have friends that have been arrested? Do you have friends, I have friends that have been arrested? But it, they they arrested for one night and they are free during the night. They just get this huge fee to mm. pay. Six six twenty five, I guess, and um, just to be in the street, and um, but uh, now it's just to be scared. Like I know you go to the street and you can get gassed wherever, whenever, even if you're not violent, if you're if even if you're you're singing peaceful songs, you can get paper sprayed or gassed or arrested. It is. it is a question of chance now. And I think all the people that are taking the streets are not afraid to, to, to take this chance or not. Because what we're facing, it's bigger than just to get paper sprayed. It's just we are resistant to a anti-democratic law. Hmm. And, and it's the only way to do it. <laughs> 
out of this, certainly, um, certainly it's not easy for a lot of people. And I, I, I think, uh, the response, um, <laughs> uh, really raises some, some serious concerns, but do you think in ways though, that, that this is, that there are, that there is solidarity being built and there is community being built around this? Like, just mm-hmm. merely having having these protests every day, it almost becomes um, you cr- you're creating new social spaces within the city. Uh, yes, and actually, uh, I remember the night when we we got the news of the special law, and a lot of a lot of my friends, a lot of people that I that I know, they're also involved in a way and another into the movement. We're like, what is, what do we have to do, and there was none an easy answer and this is spontaneous demos in your neighborhood and family demos in silence just making some noise had made that we have an action this this action had created like a hope and at the same time as you said this 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 link with our community, with our people, like you, you have the link with the people. We are not the government. The government does not represent us with this law. We don't give, I'm sorry if you don't cite me or not, we, we don't give a shit about this law. And this is how people are, where they scream in the street is, you, this law, we don't give a shit. And this is what they're screaming in the street. And, and you're feeling in every neighborhood. And yes, I'm meeting my neighborhoods. I'm knowing who is there and knowing who cares and who, 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 um, who shares these values and I think you feel it even if we don't talk to each other we just play casseroles together and <laughs> smile at you and, and people get out of the balconies and they scream at you and they, they applaud you and, and you have babies with their casseroles and you have people in their bikes putting uh, like sharing cheering at you and cars and, and you feel that we are not alone like mm-hmm. because if you're at home and you're reading the newspaper and you you feel like oh maybe there are a lot of people against us, but you feel there there are more people with us than we think. And yes, there's, there's this feeling that we can nourish our fight together. Hmm. Alejandro, what do you want to see moving forward, and what what do you think the future holds? Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine of this yesterday, and and I don't want to predict anything, and because. All the predictions that were done about this strike, we said, we said, yeah, I, I remember in Mars when I was inviting my faculty to this huge demo. And I was like, it's going to be that huge demo. And then it's we're going to go into negotiation and it's going to be fine. I mean, like that was two months ago and nothing <laughs> had happened as we predicted. So I, we don't know what it is. But yeah. but I know what it is. I know how it's going to be tonight and uh, I know how it's going to be tomorrow. We know that people will still take the street. We know that tomorrow the leaders will sit down again with the government for a third time to see how it goes. And now we don't know how it's going to go out of there. What I will hope, I want, I will love, I I would love to have, it's Jean Charest to back with this law. It's the first thing to show at least that he believes in democratic values. And he respect his people and their students. Just at, at the beginning, I hope to have an amnesty to all the kids and all the all the students and all the 
all the families that are suffering for the police repression from the not only the fees, but people that have been arrested because they've this situation had criminalized a lot of of youth and it, it's, it's just not fair. And, and I, I hope that after all of this, he he has to or he I'm sorry, the prime minister, because uh, he's been so uh, d- despot. Despot? How do you say Despotic. That? <laughs> yeah. that he has to go back with this hike. Yeah. He has to understand that people of Quebec don't want this. And I think it's been clear in the last, the last three months. We don't know what else to do, but it's our future that is, it's, 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 um, it's in, we're playing our future, right? Yeah. And I'm from a, I'm from an immigrant. I'm a, I'm a refugee. I'm, I'm an immigrant neighborhood. I'm from one of the poorest neighborhood in Montreal. And I know that if we don't have this kind of fees, I won't be able to go to school anymore. My brother won't be able to go, and a lot of my friends won't because we finished school with a twenty thousand dollar debt, and our parents cannot help us. And this is the situation for a lot of kids. And we there's poverty here and he has to face it and it's not by putting tariffs that he's gonna help us to to continue to just just to have a bachelor degree like we know that with a bachelor degree you don't even have a, a, a job after right yeah just let us have the opportunity to dream let us have the opportunity to to get some studies and to be able to understand our society that's what we're asking for I want to ask you a last question quickly and let you go. Yeah. Um, has there, how is, uh, how have local um, government officials or local politicians responded? I know Montreal's mayor has been, um, has been certainly very much in line with uh, Jean Charest, but can you, can you add any more? Are there local politicians that are building solidarity with the movement? I uh, think they, they are actually. Um, there is a, a small party in Quebec called Quebec Solidaire, Quebec uh, Solidarity, Solidaire, and we have one MP in the Plateau Montréal. That, that's where I have an, my student apartment now, and he he's the one who has been uh, facing the government, really, really saying what the seeing a lot of what the students are feeling and he he even asked in public he even said publicly to defeat this law to don't care about this law and take the streets he said it publicly and he can be arrested by saying that because according to the law if you incitate people and you call for this you are going against the principle of i don't remember which article of the law so he took the risk and he stand up and say, we're not going to obey this law. And his name is Amir Kadzir and he's been really an example for us. He's in all the demos and um, all the all the people in their in their party have been so really support party. If it's not that we have a we have a party or not, we have representatives that care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even if the, the PQ, well, I'm, I'm not a big fan, but they there are people that are inside the PQ that Parti Québécois that they are supporting the movement. So I think there are, but we still have a majority of liberals in our in our assembly, and they have this. Um, they're submitted to their to their agenda. They're not mm-hmm. representing their 
their population. Right. They're they're following the party the party agenda, mm-hmm. and they're not looking to the people that are elected them. Right. Alejandra, anything else you want to add before I let you yes. go? Yes. Well, thanks a lot. I just want to let you know that I'm like I don't know Justin told you, but I'm I'm a like I said activist like anybody else. Um, I don't have I'm not in I don't represent any any association. I'm talking okay. about any name, yeah. just to be sure. I uh, just wanted to share my experience as a student, living it from the inside. Uh, but let's see how it happens. And mm-hmm. thanks a lot to follow us and and just to tell the people to BC that if this happens to you again, like if you guys leave these kind of situations, there are, I want, what we want, even we're living a hard situation in Quebec, we want to be uh, to share this this light with the rest of Canada and say them. We can get organized and we can speak up and and we we can make it in a way that we can have have a huge impact in our society as we're having right now mm-hmm. a huge impact in our political um, discussion and we need to do this and I think students are this um, how do you say f- f- uh, um, fire mm-hmm. like in in all of the societies, if in all of the important important uh, political movements in the world, students have been this fire that that fought a lot for uh, for different rights, and uh, so yes, whenever give a call to Quebec and we will <laughs> help you. Well, we we are standing in solidarity with you, perhaps not as visibly, but. Um, many of us are seeing what's going on and um, we can only thank you and stand in solidarity for fighting the fight that we all should be fighting so thank you for what you're doing and I appreciate um, hearing your story great so have a nice one I'm sorry I have to go back to a not a problem Um, good luck to you and stay safe great thanks Thanks, Alejandra good luck to you bye goodbye and that was um, uh, speaking with Alejandra uh, Zaga Mendez, and she is a Montreal student. And that wraps up the city for uh, this edition. And you can find the city um, on the web at thecityfm.wordpress.com. You can also find um, uh, past an, a podcast archive and more information um, about the show, photos and other blog posts as well there. And uh, you can find this, uh, the city on CITR on Tuesdays from 5 to 6, citr.ca, and CJSF on Fridays at 10 a.m. at 90.1 FM and cjsf.ca. And on Twitter, the handle is the city on CITR, and you can search that on Facebook as well. So again, comments can be sent to me, Andy Longhurst, at thecity.citr at gmail.com, thecity.citr at gmail.com, and send comments and suggestions my way. So again, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we're going to go out with Jaron, um, and she is out of Quebec, and um, look forward to talking more about the city next week. And have a great week, and talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.